You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Okay, we are underway. Uh, Sylvia Bennett Stone, it's a great pleasure to be talking to you. This is Glenn Lowry. Let me tell people it's the Glenn Show at bloggingheads.tv. Uh, my conversation, John McWhorter and I, every other week. And every other week, I talk with an interesting and informed party that uh, can shed light on some issue of public interest. It's my pleasure to introduce Sylvia Bennett Stone, who is the executive director of the Voices of Black Mothers United uh, initiative at the Woodson Center in Washington, D.C. I'll let her tell you more about the work. These are mothers who have lost children to urban violence and uh, who are trying to stand in the gap and be supportive of others who have had a similar loss and address themselves to public issues. But I don't want to speak for uh, for Sylvia. I'm really grateful that you've been able to spare some time to talk to me here at the Glenn Show. So welcome, Sylvia. Thank you, Glenn. I really appreciate you um, having me on and appreciate the invitation. And I'm excited um, about this conversation. Um, as you were saying, um, we are Voices of Black Mothers United. And let me share a little bit about how Voices of Black Mothers United came about. Please do. I've been uh, a longtime CAN member of the Whitson Center back when it was CNE. And uh, people um, don't yeah. know what the Woodson Center is. Excuse me for interrupting. This mm-hmm. is Robert Woodson, the Woodson Center, formerly the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise, which works with grassroots organizations around the country, empowering people to make their lives better, uh, working on positive solutions, working with uh, from the least of these, as Bob would put it, uh, mm-hmm. Bob Woodson, my old friend, the Woodson Center and Voices of Black Mothers United is a program within the umbrella of That's the Woodson correct. Center. I just needed to explain that. Go ahead there. Yes. Um, Mr. Woodson, from knowing me from um, way back when, and, and then after the death of my daughter, I dropped off. Um, in fact, when the death of my daughter occurred, I was in the middle of developing a violence-free zone for the city of Birmingham. Um, let me share a little bit about the death of my daughter. Um, my daughter was July 4, 2004, on the 4th of July. They were caught in a crossfire, and I say they, because she and her girlfriend was in the car and was caught in a crossfire of guys shooting at each other at a gas station of all places. And the girls got caught. The bullet went through my daughter's body and stopped in the heart of her girlfriend, and both girls died. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Uh, Since then... Um, I had to figure out what was the new normal in my life. You know, I've always been a grassroots um, organization that did financial literacy, uh, literacy training altogether, um, employment training. We've done a lot of of self-help type programs um, that we provided for the communities. I didn't know what to do after then because I was caught in between, oh, God, how did this happen to me? But the fact of the matter is, is that there are a lot of means out here, a lot of mothers who's lost their innocent children to violence in the community. There's no law against going to a gas station. Correct. That's correct. I think I think we have to do that. I think that's a necessity. However, the problem is, is that you can go to this gas station and not come home. Too many times have I seen and gone through talking to mothers whose children have been innocently killed. Um, my daughter and her girlfriend were two of them. So from that point on, I started advocating 
and talking about the violence in our community. No one wants to have that conversation, I quickly found out. Oh, she's just a grieving mother. She needs to go somewhere and grieve alone and be quiet. Then it, it escalated to the point of she must be having mental illness issues. Maybe she had a nervous breakdown. She just needs to shut up and leave this alone. Her daughter's been dead for five years. Oh, my God. When is she going to stop? These are the things that you hear from our community. But yet, if a police officer kills someone's child, the whole world wants to burn down. But we can have 10 shootings and 10 mothers, 10 families destroyed in one night, and no one wants to talk about it. Mr. Woodson of the Woodson Center saw the need to give us a voice. If they don't want to hear us individually, they will hear us collectively. And that's where we started organizing Voices of Black Mothers United. Um, If you think about it, Glenn, Black women have been the leaders in their communities for a long time. And that's not taking away from any male that's in the community. But we've been the candy store lady. We've been the babysitter. We've been the listener, the confidant. We've been it all to all the children in the community. So really, we've been that pillar. But yet, when something like this occurs, they want us to go in a corner and be quiet. We're no longer valuable. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) And I will not be quiet. Bless you. Sylvia, what was your daughter's name? Her name was Crystal Joy Bennett. Um, I named her Crystal Joy because it was clear to me that she was going to be a joy to the world. And that she was. In her short 19 years, she made such a huge impact in our communities. And that was a part of her passion, is making the communities better. Yes, I'm really sorry for your loss. Yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes it, words just can't seem to describe what we're living in. Um, and working as boots on the ground in a number of communities and working with gang members and all sorts of offenders. Children were off limits. Now it seems like no one cares. There's nothing off limits anymore. So what do we do? We we really have to bring this focus back to us. We're doing it and we gotta bring it back to us. I want to ask about whether the Birmingham police were able to solve the crime that your daughter was a victim of. Glenn, 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 Glenn. It was in the jurisdiction of the county. So it wasn't Birmingham police. Um, Although I will say this. A lot of the police officers and and lawyers and so forth and so on um, know me. They knew my daughter um, from growing up and being around with me in the courts and all these things, right? So you had a lot of people who were very upset with this. We went to court. The guy I was identified as to he was charged, let me get this correct, he was charged with three murders prior to my daughter's and her friend. 
on each one of them, he was acquitted. He disrespectfully said to me, with a middle finger involved, um, I'm not going to jail. And Um, guess what? Excuse me for for interrupting. I have to ask you this, and I apologize. How do you know that he was the, the guy who did it? On the stand during his trial, he said, um, I may have killed those four little girls. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to kill them. How could he have been acquitted? Everyone is still asking that same question. Um, We were told that the jury said because they did not find a weapon, it was difficult for them to charge him and find him guilty. However, get this. After his trial was the trial of the young man who was driving the vehicle he was in. Did not put his hand on a gun. Did not touch the gun. He was driving the vehicle. And he received life without parole. Oh, my God. We have a very broken justice system. And sometimes, you know, um, you would think that this that I'm living is out of a movie. These are things you see on TV. You know, these are not things that you live, especially if this is not your lifestyle. So it's it's very complicated and difficult to, to even understand. I still don't understand it. But for my mental and my physical life's sake, I had to let it be because otherwise it was going to drive me to a point of no return. And those emotions spilled over to something negative. And I could have gone to that place where it seems like all these kids are. They're angry. They don't understand, and they're they're acting out in a violent way. I could have easily gone there. I, I really could have. And I had to look at myself and say, I can't be a hypocrite. If I'm saying to these kids out here, violence is not the way. But yet I allow myself to get that angry to where I want to pick up a gun and and do some revenge. I'm a hypocrite. And why should they believe me? Why should they listen to me? So I had to make a conscious decision to do it this way. You tell me that the gentleman whom you believe with good cause murdered your daughter, gave you the finger? In court, sure did. That's unspeakable. That's the level of disrespect that we're dealing with on the street. Not to mention all the other torture of calling my phone, um, shooting at my house. We went through all of that. To try to intimidate you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't think people, I certainly don't have any idea of what what people have to endure, what victims have to endure. It's not enough talked about. There's a lot of talk about a lot of other stuff. There's not enough talk about the people who are suffering these losses. There are thousands of you. I know you know that. There are thousands of black mothers who've lost every year children to homicide. So again, uh, my heart goes out to you, Sylvia. 
but uh, we don't want to just dwell on the negative. I I, right. I want to hear something about the the way that you are responding constructively and the people that you're working with and the the program and the vision that you that you have. Can you can you talk about what the work of Voices of Black oh, Mothers United? Absolutely, uh, that is the 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 right part of this. You know. Um, turning that that energy that you have into being effective with solutions in your community is the is the greatest feeling of all. And that's what a lot of mothers do because you don't know what to do with all those emotions. So you turn that into advocacy. So um we have mothers from all a lot of states and still recruiting, coming together as one, they are already doing work within their community. So we're bringing all the best practice on and putting those best practice on the table with hopes to duplicate those things that are working within their communities, duplicating them and putting them in other communities to make them safer. Uh, We have three initiatives. One is advocacy. And that's where we help heal our communities. Um, We help heal our mothers who's going through the loss of a child. Glenn, 26% of parents die at the death of a child. 26%. 26%. Within some period of time after Within the loss. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Within my God, I hadn't, oh my God, what a statistic. On the fifth year of the death of our girls, the other mom died. So I know these numbers to be factual. Um, the pain in itself can kill you. If you allow it in the pain, some mothers choose to self-medicate, drink drugs, some check out, um, just become socially detached. And then there's others. We get out and we, we hit the streets, you know. So the advocacy part of it is for us to reach out and grab a hold of those mothers who want to check out. To give them purpose. Don't let your child death be in vain. So we bring them in, we love on them, and we help them heal. And and I'm going to tell you this, everyone that we work with, personally, I would say for me, every mother I work with make me stronger. Every time it makes me stronger. So that healing helps heal as well. Um, Our second initiative is community intervention. Whereas we look at what are the programs and solutions that are working, that's effective, that can make changes in our communities. And we try to implement those changes in all to bring some kind of safety to our communities and and keeping our children safe. I have a son, he's got children and I, I just can't imagine doing nothing to try to keep them safe. What, what do some of these community um, interventions look like? Well, one that we're actually um, in the process of, of implementing is working with Chief Rodney Monroe. Chief Monroe, Rodney Monroe used to be a police chief in I want to say Virginia and in Baltimore and then in Florida before he retired. Um, He 
used to implement a program where he had mothers who's gone through the process of losing their child come to the scene of a homicide with him. So we have collectively put together a package where all of my mothers are certified through DOJ as victim service advocates, right? And we're coming together with the police and we're training with the police and we're going to the scenes with police. Therefore, we're... To the scenes of the crimes? Excuse me. Absolutely. To the scenes of the homicide? Correct. With perhaps the victim still at the scene? That's correct. Excuse me for interrupting, but my God. And, and, And what are you doing there? While the police are able to do their job, we're able to deal with the family because we know exactly what that family is going through. We know exactly how to calm that family down. Whereas the police seems um, they're there to do a job. And, and prayerfully, the, the job is to get as much information as they can to close that homicide. For an example, And I always use my case as the example. If the police had gotten to the homicide scene of my daughter, one, she may not have been dead. Okay? Two, if they were able to properly assess that scene, may perhaps they would have gotten a gun. And things could have went totally different in terms of court. Because at the end of the day, we as victims, only thing we want is justice. We'll never get our baby back. One of the things that you might do in terms of intervening is to try to comfort the parents or the family Mm -hmm. so that they don't, they don't, be tempted to take matters into their own hands. Oh, absolutely. So what that does, it sets a tone to where they don't retaliate. I see. And then there's another murder if there's retaliation. And it spirals and it keeps going. So by us being there, we can allow the police to do their job. And we can help the parents or the family members on the scene right there. We can offer the help. Um, we're wanting to bring a mental health specialist with us. That's the next phase of the Attagon. So those are the interventions that has been proven to work. That means, excuse me again, that you're on call that the police can contact you at a moment's notice, that you'll drop everything that you might be doing and hurry yourself over to a homicide crime scene? Mm -hmm. God. You have to remember, we're Black mothers and we're strong. We are so committed to what we're doing. This is not talk. We're talking about solutions. So we are boots on the ground doing what we say we're going to do. Now, our third initiative is promoting positive policing. Okay, so um, we're saying we don't support the defund the police initiative at all, because realistically, and if you talk to the people in the community, just about 80% is just going to say, man, we know we need the police in our communities. We know that. (laughs) But why is it that they don't speak out 
and and say these things in their community, um, I don't know. So we became that voice. Um, and now you have more people saying, oh, yeah, it's ridiculous defunding the police, right? But we are saying that we want to promote positive policing. I work with police all day, every day, for years. There are some good ones, and there are some not so good ones. And that's just the truth of the matter. Yeah. I always use the example of a, 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 a customer service clerk. You have some good ones and you have some not so good ones, right? You know, so there are professions that people sh- just should not be in. And there's no different than the law enforcement. Some of them should not be there. Right? So we want to promote that positive policing. We want to promote those who have sworn to be peace officers and doing just that. We want to promote those officers who are getting out, getting to know their community members within their their beat, right? Those are the ones we want to encourage, we want to promote, and we want to support. And we want to encourage others to do the same. How do you do that? How do we do that? Um, One, we start community communication. Meaning, bring together police and the community to the table. A lot of what the community hear about the police is from the community. (laughs) Right? So you don't give the those officers a chance you don't give them uh, you don't get to know them just recently we had a forum where we brought police officers and victims of violence to the table they had exchange where they said their piece police said their piece and then they said well wow I never knew that as a result of that We had one mother whose son was actually shot and killed by police. Mm. And her tone in her community was anger towards law enforcement altogether, which set the tone in her community. Everyone was going to back her up, right? But once she actually sat there and talked with a lot of the police officers, she realized it wasn't the law enforcement that killed her son. It was that one police officer. So she can go back and set a different tone in her community and break down some of those barriers. And look, Glenn, in breaking down those barriers, what does that mean for the community? If they engage with the community, with the law enforcement, that means that they will feel better about talking to law enforcement. That means that they're taking control of their community by talking to law enforcement. Because see, now, if I say to you, uh, uh, well, here's the murderer of little Johnny. You're getting that bad apple out of your community. Because if he murdered little Johnny, he just might murder your little Sally. Because he don't care. So you're getting that bad element out of your community. Which in turn, you're making your community safer. So they're taking charge of their own safety in that community. By just breaking down those communication barriers. Sylvia, um, I have got to ask you uh, the question that the college professors are going to ask, (laughs) which is from the ground level that your personal experience, everything you're saying is very compelling. There are good police, there are bad police. 
Innocent people are being killed. They need to be comforted. Their families need to be comforted. Revenge is not the answer. These things need to be said. They're true. But, okay, so here comes the college professor. Okay, come on. There are systems at work here, not Mm -hmm. just individuals. There are structures that are implicated. There is poverty. There's racism. It's in the police department, the racism. The -hmm. poverty blights the lives of kids, even some of them ending up with guns in their hands. They never had a chance. They grew up in a housing project. There wasn't any summer uh, opportunity. The schools failed. Um, There are guns everywhere. The black people didn't bring the guns into the community. They're not responsible for the culture where they celebrate the gun. Uh, The the police departments, the wall, the blue wall of silence, when there are bad apples, they end up not getting held accountable. Very rarely do they get held accountable. There's a reason for the anger against the police etc. So while we have, this goes to college professor, this is just me being devil's advocate, okay? While we have have enormous sympathy for your loss, we feel so sorry for you, etc. And and we, we respect you. We can't take our eye off of the systems and the structures, the racism, the poverty, uh, the rogue police departments, the lack of justice, the root causes of gangs and drugs and violence. We have to keep our eye on the system if we're going to really get justice. There's justice in the small, and then there's there's justice in the large. And again, with great respect, we can't take our eye off the ball about the justice in the large. So, okay, that's the speech. Forgive me for having to say it, but I want to hear how you react to it. Okay, let's go back to one of the things that I said. I had a choice of whether I wanted to become them or someone else. I was at the level of being just that angry, especially when the guy was acquitted and gave me the middle finger. I was at that level, I promise you. I'm a gun owner. I'm actually ex-military veteran, expert shooter. We don't want to get you mad at us. That's for sure. (laughs) I could have easily taken him out. So I'm going back to making a personal choice because to me, that's where it starts. It starts in the home of us. Okay, you got the system, yada, yada, yada. There are things broken. Yes, it is. They're being working within the system. Do I see a lot of things that need to be changed? Yes, I do. But just like I tell my children, at the end of the day, the system wouldn't be the system if if I you made the wrong choices, period. Don't give them that power over you. I couldn't give this system that power over me to determine the rest of my life and my faith. Just by being so angry and not knowing how to process my emotions. So I pick up a gun and say, okay, um, you shot mine, so I'm going to shoot you. And then someone in his family going to say, well, you shot him, I'm going to shoot yours. And it continues and it continues just by that one choice. 
So you have to make a personal decision. That starts with us. I'm sorry. And then the system won't even get involved in my life to determine the rest of my life. Let me put it this way. You told me that the young man who was driving the vehicle in which the shooter who murdered your daughter was riding got sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, even though the shooter himself walked. Mm -hmm. So here's my question, Sylvia. What would you say to the mother of that young man, the driver of that vehicle, about the system? Glenn, I had to (laughs) really, really, really do some soul searching. Um, I did not ever meet the mother of that young man, but I did meet the grandmother. And the grandmother's position on uh, the death of the girls, well, they was just, it was just their time. They were going to die one way or another. They just got caught by the bullet. Wow. No, I'm sorry. No, uh, you know, no remorse. So I had to um, refrain myself from not getting violent with an elderly grandmother for saying something so cold to me, right? Okay, so what happened in the case of this young man, every time that the other one was charged with murder, He was the driver of the vehicle. That's one. You're saying there were other crimes of which he was also implicated? Yeah, every time that the other young man was charged with murder, he was the driver of the vehicle. And and how many times was that? That was three times prior. I'm sorry if you told me that I missed that important piece (laughs) of information. That's okay. Three prior homicide offenses? That's correct, that they were charged, but were always acquitted. Okay. And he was the driver every time, because I guess it was a gang or a group of uh, people who who rode together. Now, his father stood up and, and stated at the end of trials when he was found guilty, Ma'am, I'm sorry for the death of your child, but I told him the last time he got in in this position to stay away from that other young man, and he didn't, so he's getting what he deserved. Now, the law states is that um, he was able to be charged with the same murder because they both were there. It is my understanding that his attorneys told him to be quiet. Don't say anything. Because he knew where the gun was. He knew exactly how everything transpired. And he chose not to talk. And if that gun could have been identified by the authorities, they may have been able to convict the shooter. That's what they said. Now, do I believe that? You know, but but that's what they said. Yeah. Now, do I think that he deserved life without parole? No, I don't. I do not. Because he, in the fact of the matter is, he was not the shooter. Was he involved? Could he have saved us some additional heartache? All of the above, yes. But he wasn't the shooter. The shooter should have got life without parole. So it, it our case have become a very interesting study case for law students. <laughs> 
I noticed that the website for Voices um, of Black Mothers United, that you have state leaders in different states like Pennsylvania and Maryland and Alabama and whatnot, Indiana. I was, I was very impressed. So you're branching out, you're active, not just in your own local community, but starting to be around the country. Yes, Glenn, we are bringing mothers together. I, the whole idea of it is to um, give strength to the mothers in, in every state who are trying to do this advocacy, um, who is trying to promote the, the issue of what's going on in our communities. So we're trying as collectively, coming together collectively, we're trying to give them a stronger voice. So if the Pennsylvania mom is doing something, we all come together and support that Pennsylvania mom. Ideally, what I would love to see, I would love to see every mother who's lost a child to violence convene as they do all the time at the mall in Washington. I would love to see those numbers. I would love to see the impact so the world can see how horrible of a problem this is. I consider it a pandemic. I really do. The number of murders in these communities is just ridiculous. How would you feel about connecting up with families who've lost children to mass shootings, school shootings, things of this kind. Is there anything like that uh, percolating in the background? It is. Um, we're actually, violence is violence. The pain that a mother goes through putting her child in a ground or in a vault with the hopes to see them one day spiritually. There's no description for that kind of pain, right? And there's no economic lines for that kind of pain. There's no color lines for that kind of pain. We all experience that same pain, whether the mom had to deal with a suicide or opiate OD. It's still the same thing. So we would love to bring together all of us to the table because opioids is a big problem. Suicide, especially from bullying, is a big problem. We, but at the end of the day, when we come together, we share, we share the same hurt. Sure. There's nothing different. And there's no separation of that hurt. It's not so black hurt. It's, it's not white hurt. No, absolutely not. It's not a racial not. hurt. It's a human hurt. It's a human hurt. It's a mother's pain. That, you know, I don't know, but but for me, I love giving birth. So, you know, I think about and tell the stories about the birth of Crystal. You know, she's this big, that little butterball. And um, I love carrying her. I love every kick, every heartbeat. I can remember those things. Every moment of it. And most mothers do. Why do you think... Uh, Sylvia, that I know the names of the mothers of Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin and Eric Gardner and George Floyd, but I didn't learn your name until today. Because you couldn't make money off my baby.
I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil. <laughs> That's something my grandmother used to say, tell the truth and shame the devil. Um, my daughter, to me, she was larger than life. But she was killed by one of our own in our community. So we're so desensitized that that's just normal. What? You know, it's Monday. Ten kids died. Okay. But let a white policeman kill one of us. Whether they're in the wrong or the right. We can make money off of that. We can put that across the billboards. We can stay on TV. Yeah, and the city just might give you a multi-million dollar settlement before it's over if you've got the right lawyer. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe and maybe not. We have one mother who Black Lives Matter got involved with the death of her son by a police officer, and she's homeless. Homeless. Now, I can see under ordinary circumstances, how that homelessness can happen because you totally shut down. So you're, if you are the one that's responsible for the income in your family and you shut down, then there's no more income. But if the organization was involved in complaining about the police killing, they should have seen after the mother to so that she wouldn't fall into that condition because there is a lot of money out there. You would think not only falling into that condition economically, but falling period mentally. That should have been the first thing that was taken care of. Let's get you some help. Each one of us have to have that counseling. So if you want to take care of that person, you take care of them whole. Because money cannot take away that pain in your heart. So if you're truly concerned about that person as a human being, you're going to start with taking care of their mental stability. You're going to start by loving on them. Then you go into what are their their outside needs. But you're going to make them a whole person again. That's the first thing. You start with that love. Where's the love? Start with love. That sounds right to me. Sylvia, you got a book. I should mention it. Minefields, a healing <laughs> journey to survive the murder of a child. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, I got to a point of my thoughts and my sleepless nights were overbearing. And someone said to me, why don't you write those things down? Why don't you write down what happened prior to, why don't you tell your story? So perhaps your story could be uh, a blue, a, a blue um, what do you call it? A, um, I don't know, roadmap or something? Roadmap. A blueprint is what blueprint. I was saying. Okay. For other mothers who are going through because you don't know what to do. Everything that that you once knew has been questioned and shaken and torn apart. 
So you have to find out what's your new normal and and where do you start? So I started by journaling and that journaling became help for others. Minefield, a healing journey to survive the murder of a child. Mm-hmm. Well, Sylvia, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and and talking about that. Did I overlook anything? Is there something else that you'd like to share with us before we conclude? Yes, I would. Um, to do this work, one, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult work. I'm not going to say that it's, it's easy. It's not. However, we have to um, be mindful of expenses. So I have a saying, sympathy is no substitute for support. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me. Support me. Right? Support us. We need funding like no other, to continue to do what we do, to continue to come up with with solutions to be able to duplicate them in other parts of the states. Um, So if you see in your heart to support us, please do. You can go to VoicesOfBlackMothers.com, join the movement, support the movement. You can go to the woodsoncenter.org Donate. 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 Okay, that's very fair. You're all listening to this. If you're so moved, that's voicesofblackmothers.com or woodsoncenter.org to support the Voices of Black Mothers and the good work that Sylvia Bennett Stone is doing so again with great gratitude for your time and praying that your work uh, bears and continues to bear fruit. I thank you for coming on the Glenn show, Sylvia. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to reiterate one thing. We talked about choices. I want to reiterate that everything that we do, Everything, every outcome, it started with a choice. I made the choice to be nonviolent. I made the choice not to retaliate. And I want to encourage anyone that's out there that's thinking about doing something. Remember, whatever the consequences Maybe it started with that choice. And if we could promote positive choices within our communities and getting our kids to start thinking differently, then perhaps that too can decrease some of this violence. It's a choice. No matter what's put in front of us, whether it's a gun or a drug, it's our choice at the end of the day to pick it up and to use it. Or to leave it right where it is and keep on stepping. Okay. <laughs> All right, my dear. Thank you very much. We're going to sign off Thank now. Thank you. I enjoyed this very much. Bye-bye.